Dale Kerstetter was a 50-year-old from Bradford, Pennsylvania. He was the father of six and loved to hunt and fish. On the night of September 12, 1987, he showed up to work the night shift as a security guard at the Corning Glass Plant. The shift change went as usual. However, the next morning when the next guard showed up, Dale was gone. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. do you know about it? I think the answer to that question for many people, including myself, is much like what the Supreme Court said about pornography and what James Bond said about gold. We know it when we see it. I can't help but notice the irony that we take something so much for granted that is practically invisible when perfectly clean. It's like it's there, but it's not there. If you must know, glass does occur naturally on the earth. If the kind that we are all most familiar with, the man-made stuff, has been around since 3 BC. And it's made from sand, probably one of the last substances you'd ever think that could be turned into something transparent. Once again, that irony. But without it, our buildings would have to all be solid walls to keep the air conditioning and heat in. Many people wouldn't be able to see, and at least in the English language, we call a container a liquid is poured into a glass, even if it's plastic. One more time, the irony. Well, today, we have the disappearance of Dale Kerstetter, a security guard at a glass plant, who, at least according to security video, was surprised by an intruder, then forced to watch as the man cut out a very valuable material from one of the company's large furnaces. Dale and the burglar then disappeared, a caper that is still unsolved. Yet as we analyze the facts of the case today on this episode, I wonder if you'll see the irony that the popular theory of what happened that night is not as clear as glass. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsite, charlieproject.org. Dale Kerstetter, by all accounts, was your average type of Pennsylvania guy. He liked to hunt. He liked to fish. In general, he loved the great outdoors, and it helped that he lived in the central north part of the state where all of his hobbies could be enjoyed. Although he was divorced a couple times, he maintained relationships with all of his children and in fact lived with his 16-year-old son. Really, the only issue going on in Dale's life at the time of his disappearance was that his employer, Corning, was planning to sell, and there were rumblings going around that many people would be let go. In fact, many employees had already been laid off before Dale's disappearance. To take up some of the slack, Dale had offered to get a few more hours on his paycheck by being the night shift security guard, although he had no prior experience, an offer Corning said yes to. So, on September 12, 1987, Dale was only a few weeks into his new job. He arrived at 11 p.m. and the shift change went as planned. As part of the job, 
Dale had the responsibility to call into Corning's main office every hour, on the hour, to let them know everything was okay. Dale made the call at midnight. That was the last time anyone heard from him. Although to this day, there is no explanation as to why the office wasn't bothered by Dale not calling throughout the night. When the morning shift guard arrived, Dale's pickup was in the parking lot. His lunch was in the lunchroom, but he was nowhere to be found, and there was no signs of a break-in or violence. Dale was never heard from or seen again. In the following days, something else was discovered to be missing. A section of platinum had been cut out of a large furnace. This valuable material lined the tank so it would be resistant to the high temperatures used in making glass. The amount was valued at $250,000 in 1987 money. Upon review of videotapes, days later, Dale is seen on the video being led around by a masked burglar. And although Dale is seen in the video at various times, he is not seen leaving the plant. The following issues have complicated the investigation into Dale's disappearance. Number one, the platinum taken that night has never been recovered. Number two, the masked intruder has never been identified. And number three, the large number of employees and ex-employees who would have wanted to get even, possibly by stealing from Corning, due to the company laying off people and selling the plant. Dale's family believes he had no hand in the theft that night. The entire case, including the taking of the platinum, remains unsolved. The guest for this episode is Heather Grotman, blogger and expert on the disappearance of Dale Kerstetter. Unfound News It is with great sadness that I announce the passing of a former guest, Jessica Curtis. She is the sister of Tyler Stice, and she was the guest for that episode. She passed away last Wednesday, October 10th. I found out about it while I was in Orlando. I took the news very hard, and I can tell you her death will affect me for a long time. We cannot allow ourselves to forget her or her brother. Rest in peace, Jessica. Next, we passed the 100th case covered on Unfound without me knowing it. I guess that's how busy I am. Alyssa Turney's case from two weeks ago was case 100. It seems like yesterday I was putting together the very first episodes, and that was over two years ago. I can also remember when the Unfound podcast discussion group only had like 62 members in it. Now it's over 3,400, which is crazy. The credit goes to all of you, the listeners. Thank you. Finally... I've started on Volume 5 of the Unfound Book Series. Look for it very soon. Thanks. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Podomatic, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Concerning Facebook, please join us on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern for the Unfound Live show on the Unfound page. And I need to give a shout out to all the new followers on the Podomatic app, gaining more and more of them every week. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. The website, unfoundpodcast.com. The website at Trib Total Media, triblive.com forward slash news forward slash unfound. Unfound as Patreon and PayPal accounts, patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. You automatically get access to the private Unfound blog, and you get a free ebook, 
with a $2 per month contribution. This week, I need to thank Sarah and Joy. And then the PayPal account, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Unfound Merchandise, Volumes 1, 2, 3, and 4 on Amazon in both paperback and ebook form. If you've bought one of them, please give them a nice review. The Playing Cards at makeplayingcards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfound podcast. Shirts for almost all of Unfound's cases at myshopify.com. And please mention Unfound on all true crime Facebook pages and other websites and forums. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound a writer at the Lost and Found blogs, Heather Grotman. Heather, welcome to Unfound. Hello, Anne. It's nice to be here. Uh, Heather, you are following up a couple other bloggers who have been on Unfound over the last year, year and a half. Uh, we had Anthony and his blog. Yeah, he was the guest for the Tammy Leppert episode and also the Evelyn Hartley episode. And then we had Dennis Mayon, Mayhan on twice where he was interviewed regarding Kent Jacobs and then Kristen Modafferi. And so you're our third blogger on here. So I'm happy to have you on to talk about Dale Kerstetter. First of all, let's talk about your blog, how it got started, what motivated you, all that good stuff. Well, I've always been a big fan of the television show Unsolved Mysteries. So there's a big message board on sitcoms online. I moderated it for several years. Would talk about the cases there, post, you know, lengthy posts, analyzing things. And it just kind of grew from there. And I wanted to try my hand at writing articles. And I was always researching on the board even to kind of find out what had happened with the cases. So it just kind of grew in to having my own blog about cases that I could go more in-depth and research. Right, and you do do a lot of research. Uh, anybody that's going to go to your blog is going to find that uh, you're not a person who is just ripping off of Wikipedia and everything. You actually get to mm -hmm. talk to family members, friends of the missing person, much like Dennis and Anthony do uh, with their blogs. And so your blog is very much like Unfound. You're not ripping anybody off. You're finding original material. Yes, and I like to find accurate information, and talking right. to the relatives and friends helps with that. It, it certainly does. Uh, how long have you been doing this blog, and how do you pick out your cases? I just started in May, so just a few months now. Um, so far, I've just done cases that have really just stuck in my head over the years. There's been a few cases where I kind of knew of some relatives, family members, thought, you know, I could have an inside track there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and I've had a few suggestions of cases that I may do in the future as well. I did a case where somebody was missing and then found. I've had an interest in writing more of those. People have, you know, thought that I should write some more where they're eventually found alive and well, which sadly is, doesn't happen very often. 
No, it doesn't. That is true. Uh, how often do you post, and how long does it usually take to put an entire case together? It's probably close to a month, and that's probably about how long it takes me because I do all the research. Then it's tracking down relatives and emailing them, waiting for them to reply or exchanging some phone calls with them. Then there's the process of writing, editing it, and posting. So probably close to a month. I mean, I wish I could get them out quicker, mm -hmm. but I don't want the quality to suffer. That's true. That's a very good point. And maybe we should just put this out there. If people are listening, maybe they're sitting at their computers right now to find out who you are. They would go to Lost and Found Blogs, and that is L-O-S-T-N-F-O-U-N-D-B-L-O-G-S dot com. Lost and Found. Correct. So the and is reduced to an N, lostandfoundblogs.com. And there's a lot of interesting cases there besides Dale's, which we're going to be talking about uh, today. Um, you wanted to talk about also why you don't use Heather. You don't use your real name when you write. You use the name Crystal Dawn. Why is that? Well, that was my screen name. That's my screen name on the uh, UN board. So that's pretty much what I'm identified by online with this genre. So I thought it would be best to just keep my website Crystal Dawn for name recognition. Okay. All right. Great. And anybody who's going to go to the blog, not just with Dale's case, but many of these others, they're long entries. You know, you, yeah. you talk to a variety of people, um, even some police officers, detectives, if you can uh, track them down to put into your posts uh, what they have said about these cases. Now, let's move specifically to Dale's case. How did you find out about it? Well, it aired in 1990 in Unsolved Mysteries, so being a fan of the show, I'd seen his case for years. And his daughter, Penny, she's great. She was interviewed on the segment, but she's also posted on the board several times, and she was great. She was very open in discussing the case with anyone, wasn't upset at any kind of theories or anything. So I did think that she would probably speak with me, and then I could get, you know, some inside information and insight into the case sure, sure. and uh, when did you if uh, this uh episode with dale of course dale disappeared in 1987 the unsolved mysteries episode comes out in 1990 when did you finally start talking to his family about his disappearance probably you know june or so i sent her a, a pm on the board and i said you know, would you ask, would you answer some questions? And she said, great. And she gave me your phone number. So we've had several long conversations. And actually, this kind of reignited Penny, which has always been out there with her father's case. She did a lot of follow-up. She was helping me a lot with research, calling people, checking into things. So she was a really big help in my article. Great. And yes, and you've sent me some articles, some links, and some pictures regarding uh, recent articles written about Dale's case. So they've done news items. In fact, you're mentioned, your blog is mentioned in at least one of those articles, correct? Yes, the Bradford era, which I phoned them after I published my article because it's a small town, and I knew people hadn't forgotten Dale's case. And there was a little bit of some more information, some new information in there. And I just told them, you know, you might want to, 
you know, post this or, you know, refer to it anyway to get the case back out there in hopes that somebody knows or heard something back then. Mm-hmm. Why do you think, if you first heard about this in 1990, I mean, you don't live in Pennsylvania. Or we don't necessarily have to say where you live, but you don't live near Bradford, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. But what was it about? I mean, we're, people are going to hear this is a very unique case just by on its own. But what was it about this particular case that stuck with you for 20, you know, 20 some years to the point where you finally decided that you wanted to write about it? Well, the most mysterious cases to me are the ones where there's, they just kind of vanish. They just vaporize. There's never Mm -hmm. any sightings or anything of them again. And with Dale's case, it was kind of one of two things had to happen. And there was never, you know, a clear cut answer to what happened. Yeah. So it just kind of stuck with you. I mean, like you said, you're yes. you were really a follower of un, a follower of unsolved mysteries, but this was one of the ones of all the episodes that you've watched that really, you know, got its hooks in you, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about Dale, being that you've um, had a chance to talk to his family uh, recently, and you've been following this case since 1990. Uh, who was he? What does his family say about him? What was his background? And then we'll get into his job and some other things. Um, they was they always spoke very highly of Dale, said that he was a very devoted and loving father. He had a lot of friends, had a very diverse group of friends. He loved the outdoors, loved to have fun, was in a band at one point, had a short military career. And then when he came back to Pennsylvania, he started working at Corning, and he'd actually worked there for 29 years when he went missing. Wow! So the 19 since he was only 1950. A few months shy of retirement, actually. Hmm. He was he was due to retire the next spring. Okay. Okay, and uh, he was married uh, at the time that he disappeared. Did how many kids did he have? He was not married at the time he disappeared oh, he was married okay he'd been married for many years i've actually spoken with his ex-wife nancy she's been great very they had a very um cordial relationship but she had a lot of nice things to say there was a brief marriage after nancy and he had been divorced for a few years so he was single when he went missing okay and then he of he course lived he had with children his son. he lived with his son yeah he had six children his five daughters wow. and one son and he lived with his teenage son at the time he went missing. Wow, six kids. Okay. And so he was a military man, worked at Corning, uh, I guess, if it was 29 years since late 1950s. That's a long time in Bradford. And what was – he had a variety of jobs from what you told me. I mean, he ended up being a security guard, or we'll get into the, why he was doing that. But what kind of different jobs did he have at Corning over those 29 years? I believe he worked in the trade shop at one point. When he went missing, he was a journeyman, which as near as we can tell, just kind of, I think he just kind of knew all the jobs and did what he needed to do. Um, But then, you know, when they were downsizing, Corning was, he had to take a cut in pay. Mm -hmm. So he took some shifts as a security guard at Corning. So he would actually work Monday through Friday as a journeyman. And then he would be a security guard on the weekends, the overnight shift. Okay, so 
he actually did work for Corning. I mean, sometimes like security for, you know, malls and manufacturing companies, sometimes that work is farmed out. But with this, he was actually an employee of Corning and he was a security guard among his other jobs at Corning as a Corning employee. Yes, he was trying to supplement his income because he had been, you know, it was a several thousand dollar a year cut in pay. Wow. Okay. Okay. And this is a pretty big plant. And what do they do at Corning? Uh, What did they do at Corning in Bradford, Pennsylvania? I believe they manufacture glass rods that are used in resistors. Hmm. And they had quite a few... um, they had quite a few employees at that time, didn't they? Um, yeah, I, nobody that, you know, that's the tough part about a 31-year-old case. Some of the questions you just don't really know. I haven't mm. been able to ascertain, but I do know they were downsizing. They had let mm. several people go around this time. Okay. Because it used to be, you know, a pretty large factory and had a lot of workers, but that was kind of on the... That was going towards the end. They were selling, by the way. They they were just getting ready to sell. Okay. So being that you um, have had a chance to get to know the family, talk to his ex-wife, what do they remember uh, about those days and that's months and the months leading up to his disappearance? Anything strange? Any Was he having any money issues? To your knowledge, to their knowledge, frankly, did Dale have any vices? like gambling or anything like that, anything that was um, unusual. And in fact, uh, maybe I don't know how unusual this was, but he was a hero at something. He did something that got him some attention. Maybe you can tell the listeners about that as well. Yeah, several years prior, he was working at Corning, and a forklift had rolled under this um, flowing molten glass. And the forklift had a couple of propane tanks fitted to it. Mm. So you can imagine what would have happened had the hot glass hit the propane. So Dale was out worrying about his own safety. He jumped on the forklift and drove it away from the glass. And they even theorized on the Unsolved Mysteries segment that that could have saved half a dozen lives and hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage. Wow. Okay. So he was a brave guy looking out for his fellow employees. Seems like a good guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe we'll get back to this question again then. Anything that his ex-wife has been able to tell you about the days and months leading up to his disappearance? Uh, I know they weren't living together any longer. Maybe his teenage son can remember any you know, phone calls. Uh, any issues that were going on in Dale's life that caught the attention of anybody in his family in 1987? Not really. I mean, his ex-wife was living in Texas at the time, so Mm. she had sporadic contact with him. But Penny, the daughter that I've spoken with, she and him were close. And there was nothing out of the ordinary. She did say that, you know, he wasn't happy about the situation at Corning, being downsized and everything. But she said he was thankful to still have a job because a lot of people had lost their jobs. Right. Right. Um, Any new, maybe new friends in his life? You know, uh, I'm going to guess that maybe according, they had a union, maybe guys trying, or women trying to, 
if they thought that they were going to get let go, maybe trying to cause trouble, anything like that that any of Dale's family could remember? No, not that she was aware of. There was a couple of bars that he would frequent, you know, and it just had his regular friends in there from what she knew. Okay. So we come up to the day of September 12th, 1987. Uh, Please give the listeners what are the general facts. Um, We already know that he was a journeyman, kind of a maybe a jack-of-all-trades working at the uh, the plant there at Corning, and then he was a security guard that night, and he shows up for work for, what, the overnight shift, right? Yes, he showed up about 10.30, so that would be Saturday, yeah, and Art Peterson was who he relieved, and his shift started at 11, so 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. was normally his shift. So as far as anyone knew that night, you know, all was quiet, nobody was alerted to anything. Mm-hmm. And then um, John Lindquist came the next morning at 7 a.m. to relieve Dale, and he couldn't find Dale. He went in the break room, and Dale's lunch was in there. Had been, it was uneaten. And first, he just kind of thought maybe there was a medical issue, went to look around, and the details were fuzzy from then on, but I believe that Corning just kind of looked themselves for Dale all throughout the day because they didn't phone the police until 5 p.m. on Sunday. So like, oh, like 36 hours late or something like that. Unless, I'm not sure whether technically, when they say Dale's shift was at, was Saturday, I don't know mm-hmm. whether that meant he got there at 10.30 p.m. Friday or 10.30 p.m. Saturday. Okay. Still, they didn't um, couldn't do anything right away. Um, when you say that he's working the security guard, I'm going to take for granted that this is a pretty big plant, you know, thousand, you know, maybe a hundred thousand square feet plant. He is the only Mm -hmm. security guard there. Yes. Okay. And so he told Penny, please. He had told Penny in the months before that he would not be patrolling that factory alone without his gun. He had a gun that he always brought with him on his security guard ships. Okay. Do you know if, you know, when I think of a generally uh, a plant, you, you know, there's like a gate that you have to maybe, I mean, back in 1987, 1987, you know, technology, you might have to slide a card or type in a code or anything. Or was Dale's office where he would hang out? Maybe when he wasn't making his rounds, like was it at like a gatehouse or something like that? Do you know? From what I understand, it was just right inside the door was the room where the security guard was. And Dale's truck was parked just outside. So it was very close to the building. And in fact, there was a few times when Penny and her friends would be out and they would go by to see Dale and the door was never locked. They were able to just walk right in. Okay. And this is Bradford, Pennsylvania. This is, uh, people can look it up on the map. It's being from Pennsylvania myself, I kind of consider that area of Pennsylvania to be out in the middle of nowhere. It's like in this north central part of the state up on near I-80. It's not near Pittsburgh. It's not near Philadelphia. Uh, And so, you know, it's hard to say what could really happen there. Of course, we know he disappeared there, but I don't know if that was predictable. So it's not like, 
he needed to be he felt like he needed to walk with a gun but it's not like this plant was in a dangerous area no in fact when they noticed that dale's truck was still there even though dale was missing Mm -hmm. and the keys were in the ignition which penny said was not uncommon at all back then and it was a brand new truck he had a carton of cigarettes in there his holster was in there and there was also a backpack in there that penny and nancy aren't really disputing it's his but they thought it was kind of odd because they didn't even know dale to carry a backpack or have a backpack okay well let's talk then let's talk about that so the next the guy that's supposed to relieve dale gets there he can't find him he finds his lunch in the break room dale's truck is outside it's unlocked um did you say the keys were in it the keys weren't in it yeah the keys were were in the ignition yeah we're in the ignition okay and there's this backpack was there anything in the backpack when they finally opened it up there was never any mention whether it was it was just stated that that's one of the things they found in the truck okay so they look around for him the Nobody sees him, not sure what to think. I guess this plant uh, isn't working. Nobody is coming to work on the weekends. I guess this is just some kind of plant that, you know, only is operating during the week, but still they need somebody there Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of valuable things there that once again we'll talk about. And then you said that Corning didn't finally call the police. They didn't call the police, let's just put it this way, as soon as they should have. So what happened then? So at 5 p.m., the police started their investigation. They did search. There was a nearby creek called Tuna Creek. They searched it. They had volunteers searching the woods that were near the factory. And they also brought in dogs um, to search for Dale's scent. And the dogs alerted up to the kiln, the furnace, which they also refer to as the tank. The dogs alerted up to that area for Dale's scent, and that really shouldn't have been on Dale's rounds. Okay. So. Okay, when they went looking through the plant, was anything, uh, any signs of violence? Were any locks broken, doors busted? No, there was no blood. There was nothing missing, nothing broken. It just... It just appeared like Dale had vanished. I could you could have believed maybe at the time that Dale kind of just walked off. Just maybe just yeah. Walk, yeah, okay. You could make that inference at least at that point that who knows what's mm-hmm. going through his head. Seems like a good guy, but we don't know, and he just kind of walked away from his job. Okay, mm-hmm. so the police, this dog hits on the, this part of the plant where Dale probably shouldn't have been, may wouldn't have been on the path for his rounds. When you got to speak, and you're still still speaking to Nancy and the rest of Dale's family, at the time, those days after this day, what were they thinking? What did they think happened to Dale? Before and We're going to get into what happened next, but what were they thinking initially? Penny said they just didn't really even know what to think. I mean, I think they were probably just numb. But, you know, I think they did kind of wonder if maybe that he'd been taken hostage. Hmm. Okay. But they were just really didn't know what to think initially. Okay. They didn't really think that he would ever walk off the job on his own. 
No, I mean, not not initially. I mean, they never really were adamant one way or the other. But I think at the very beginning, you know, just they just thought, well, something bad happened and he was taken. Okay. All right, so the police are looking into this. And then, so there's a few days where everybody's a little stumped. I guess from that weekend gets into the next week. I guess everybody comes back to work on Monday. The plant starts uh, maybe operating again. Um, but there was eventually a discovery made that something was missing, not something you'd normally think of, maybe even to look for in an initial search. What was it? Mm-hmm. Well, about four days after Dale went missing, Patrick Foley decided to look at the surveillance cameras. All right, we have to identify who Patrick Foley is. Who is Patrick Foley? He was he was listed as the former personnel manager at Corning. Okay. And Corning had four cameras. I'm not sure exactly where they were all positioned, but he decided to look at the four cameras and was completely shocked by what he saw on the cameras. There was a masked intruder First, he's seen by himself. I'm not sure the chronology of these because it's just, Mm -hmm. there's never any set, you know, they just kind of show you pictures or describe them. But I believe that he was found, seen hiding behind boxes, the first glimpse. So he's seen by himself. Then Dale is seen with the masked intruder. It appears as if they're just standing there having a conversation. Then, according to Patrick Foley's interview on Unsolved Mysteries, the intruder starts to go towards where the tank would be. Then at one point, it shows Dale and the intruder walking, but the intruder is walking a little bit behind Dale, and you can't see his right hand. It almost, I mean, just speculation, but he could have even had some kind of a gun on him because it was just odd the way they were walking not side-by-side, a little bit behind Dale. Okay. Then the uh, intruder is seen, I'm sorry, after they're seen together walking, they also walk right where one of the cameras is, and Dale looks right at the camera as they're walking by it. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you see is the intruder alone, and he's got this large bag, on a dolly pushing it. And then that's the last that you see of Dale or the intruder. Okay. Now, going back to the Unsolved Mysteries episode from 1990, the video that if somebody were to happen to find that episode online, that's a recreation of what happened. That is not actually the video that Corning had. What you see in Unsolved Mysteries, it's a recreation. And they actually showed Penny, they showed her one part of the original video. Okay. And they they showed her the part where Dale was looking up in the camera because I think they wanted to know her opinion. You know, what was he trying to convey? Mm-hmm. And so, and the, the state trooper that I spoke with, he said the quality of this video was terrible. He, it, he almost likened it to that the lens needed, needed cleaned off. Okay. So he said the reenactment on Unsolved Mysteries was much clearer than the original video was. Right. We have to remember that it was 1987. We're still using like VHS mm-hmm. tapes. 
and it's yeah. in a plant. So I'm going to say the air is maybe a little dirty and things that film's going to develop on the lens of the camera. And I'm sure nobody ever wipes it off. So that's very easy to believe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody happens to see any, see any videos of Dale Kerstetter uh, regarding this, those are all recreations and those are actors in the video. So this might have, must have been, um, something how did uh do you know how nancy and the family reacted to the video obviously she got to see a part of the real video how did she react to it yeah only penny was the only one shown part of the oh, original video as far as i know okay um she she seems to think that it was fear you know it's kind of hard to say for sure it's just one glance but it was almost like he was alerting people to what was happening so she initially thinks that the look that she saw was fear. Okay. And just to be clear about this, at the beginning of the video, uh, Dale was seen with this seemingly a robber of some type, but then the last image uh, on the video is of the robber alone. But like you said, there's like a huge bag that possibly, we don't know this, possibly mm -hmm. Dale was inside the bag, possibly. Yeah, there was a very large bag. Mm -hmm. And I can get into later how much the platinum would have weighed, but Dale was only five foot four and weighed like 130 pounds. Okay. Smaller guy. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't show in this video, as far as you know, uh, as far as Penny was able to see, there's no sign of altercation between the two of them struggling, wrestling, no signs of violence on it. Just maybe this robber came up on Dale without, Dale realizing it maybe crept up on him. Yeah, there there is one of the frames where it does look like they're having a conversation. Hmm. Of course, it's impossible to know what type. Maybe he's inquiring to Dale where to find things or. Okay, and we should note that you did say that that Dale carried a gun around with him when he walked around the plant. Was his gun found uh, when the police no. searched? No. No, Dale and his gun were both missing. Okay. Very good. All right. So if we're to believe that he was walking around with his gun, somehow this intruder came up on him and I, I, we're guessing got a hold of Dale's gun. Now, you had mentioned platinum. This is uh, the next part of this. So we had this video that it took at least a few days, it seems, to anybody to look at it. I think these days that would have been number one, maybe not back in 1987. Um, and these are just interior cameras, no out, no exterior cameras. Yes, correct. Okay, so we can't see if this intruder drove up another vehicle or he walked up the plant. We don't know. Yes. Okay. You mentioned platinum. Uh, why did you mention that? What does that have to do with uh, this disappearance? So it was widely known in the factory and probably Bradford that they did have platinum that lined the furnace at Corning. Platinum is very tolerant to the very high temperatures that they would need in the hot glass. So there were platinum rods lined in the furnace. So as soon as Patrick Foley, you know, he knew that the dogs alerted to that area, he sees the mask intruder, then they think to check the furnace. And I don't know how much, but it's very noticeable that platinum lining had been cut out of the furnace. Huh. 
How much? They said it was $250,000 worth. Is that in 1987 terms? Dollars? Yes. Yes, I wow. did. Wow. I did look it up, and at the point back then, 1987, it was about $600 an ounce. So that would be 417 ounces, and that would equal into only weighing 26 pounds. Okay, so in, since 1987, 250, so that would be, let's just say double, at least double, maybe $500,000 today in 2018. Yeah, yeah, I looked it up, and it's probably close to 350000 okay. right now would be worth. Okay, right. We have to figure in what the price of platinum, I guess, is these days. I was just figuring for inflation, but yes, being that that's a commodity, you'd have to figure out, you know, it goes up and down like gold or silver. And in fact, platinum is more valuable per ounce than gold is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you got this very expensive material lining the furnace there because it's very resistant to the temperatures that are used. Um, that you get to when you're making glass uh platinum was it in sheet did you say it was in rods it wasn't like in sheets but was, rods i believe it was rods okay all right so the hacksaw to cut them out okay all right so it was taken out any ideas anybody once again since you've known about this any high idea how long it would take to hack that amount of platinum out of this furnace no i really don't and and people think it was an inside job because it was a very poorly lit area it was in the middle of the night and they knew where to go get the tools and everything they needed and then with a the hacksaw i can't imagine it went very quickly all right but there's really just no way of knowing because nobody knew anything was wrong overnight that night but Dale was supposed to check in, being a security guard. He mm -hmm. was supposed to check in every hour with the, the home office. And according to them, the last time he checked in was midnight. So this happened sometime after that. He didn't check in back, I guess, at 1 a.m. Yes, and according to the surveillance, they think that the intruder was there just very shortly after Dale's shift started. Okay. Huh. Yeah, and we're going to talk about some – we are going to do a little – we don't do a lot of theorizing on Unfound, but we're going to do it in this episode being that uh, you are not a family member, and I feel a little more comfortable doing that, and we'll talk about that a little mm -hmm. later. Um, is it your opinion that most of the people who worked at the plant knew that platinum was inside the furnace and knew it was valuable? Would that have been something that yes. your general employee would have known there? Yes, definitely. In fact – there was even talk that, you know, a lot of people would just kind of theorize themselves at how easy it would be to get that. Because probably most workers knew where it was anyway. Yeah. So this must be a pretty big furnace for somebody that, you know, a, a grown adult can get in there and actually use a saw to take this pretty big furnace. Yeah. And there was even, you know, theories that Dale was put in the furnace. But obviously that wasn't the case because if the furnace had been on, they wouldn't have been able to access and cut the platinum out of it. And Patrick Foley did tell the police that it hadn't been used for a few weeks before the disappearance. Hmm. 
And so did the, the removing of this platinum from this furnace uh, stall any of the work of making glass that was being done at the plant at all? I mean, you said it hadn't been used for a couple weeks, but I guess what I'm asking is, did they try to use the furnace without the platinum in it and something went wrong or was there any damage? I'm not, I'm not really sure. Like I said, they were in the middle of transitioning. They were selling the plant. In fact, I found an article that was just, I think, three days before Dale went missing announcing that they were being sold. Okay. And so this is, you had mentioned before that the reason they even looked in there is because this dog hit on this furnace area. Is that right? Yeah, they, they had Dale sent near the furnace. Okay. Do you think, once again, I know you're not an expert on making glass at the industrial level mm -hmm. or anything like that, but the way you understand it, uh, is it possible that this platinum might not have even been noticed to be gone had it not been for the dog? Is that something that a human would have noticed while working on the furnace or working around the furnace? I mean, I think eventually it would have been noticed, but I think mm -hmm. it would have been a while. Okay. Okay. Uh, just go back to the video. On any of the video, is Dale seen leaving the plant? No, he is not. Okay, so we just have the intruder once again with the big the big bag, uh, with a dolly. Um, do you know if the dolly was found or was the dolly taken too? Was it found somewhere? Was it like out in the parking lot or did the guy bring it back inside or what do you think? No, I've never I've never heard any mention of that. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, but as far as they said, nothing was missing but the platinum. Okay, and Dale and his gun. And in fact, there's there's no picture of the intruder carrying an empty bag. So I'm not sure whether he brought it with him, mm -hmm. whether it was in the plant. I did notice Patrick Foley said this person knew how to get to the tools and the bags and things that he would need. That made me wonder if maybe the bag was already on site. Yes. Yes. Uh... I mean, once again, we have to guess. I think back to 1987 technology in 2018. All of this video would be saved on a hard drive, endless, endless, endless hours. But with the taping and the video from 1987, it's very possible that um, you know there are going to be several areas of the plant that aren't covered by video at all. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what was the rea once this came out? I mean, what did the police think about it? And what was Corning's reaction to seeing their employee Dale with this intruder in the plant? Patrick Foley, as soon as he saw that Dale was with the intruder, he was convinced that Dale was in on the theft. Hmm. He would refer to him as a marginal employee, just you know, pretty much threw him under the bus. Mm -hmm. didn't seem to be as interested as finding the masked intruder as they were to blame Dale. Okay, so they threw him under the bus immediately. Um, do you now know any of the police theories? I mean, what did the police think when they saw the video? And you've had a chance to talk well, to at least one officer who worked on the case. If you're free to say, what were they thinking? Yes, I spoke with retired state trooper Max Bezak. He's actually the one that phoned Unsolved Mysteries and asked them to cover Dale's case. Mm -hmm. He said they were at a bit of an advantage, disadvantage, I'm sorry, because 
they were called in two weeks after Dale went missing. And, I mean, his job was mainly to try to track down the platinum, see if he could find it. So he was calling and checking any kind of scrap yards, you know. Mm-hmm. But he kind of, he's kind of like everybody else. He's just kind of on the fence. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he thinks that Dale was, if he was in on it, was double-crossed ultimately. Okay. But, you know, the the family kind of got the impression right off that the police kind of thought that Dale was in on it. Okay. And Corning's, uh, but it doesn't sound like this Patrick guy, uh, who sounds like to be the boss, he didn't, did he actually come out and say that Dale could have been involved in the theft, or he just said that Dale was just a marginal employee and that's why this all happened? I guess there's a difference between the two. He was viewing the camera where Dale looks up in the camera, and his theory was, Dale was saying, hey, I'm stealing your platinum and there's nothing you can do about it. Huh. Okay. All right. Um, Once the video, uh, I know it wasn't shown to the public, but did word get out to the public of Bradford, Pennsylvania, uh, that there was video? And, you know, how fast did word spread that Dale was missing? I'm not sure even how big the story got. I found a newspaper article where it did go into detail what was on the the camera, but it was a very small town, so I'm sure mm-hmm. word got out. But for some reason, they've never released the actual video, never, even 31 years later. That is interesting. I agree. And I would think they could at least, I mean, at least with the build of the intruder, maybe that would be a clue. Somebody could say, well, hey, check out so-and-so. It could have been a past employee. It could have been a current employee. Sure. Sure. Dale, there when, were a lot of disgruntled workers. Yeah, I'm sure, being that it was downsizing, and I, I want to talk about that in, in a little bit. Right now, um, were there any sightings of Dale? Alleged sightings that here, there, anywhere? Um, and in addition, if we're to believe that maybe Dale was taken hostage by this person who stole it, stole the platinum, were there any ransom demands or anything? Can you answer those questions? There were no ransom demands. No. The sightings that I I read about were just, you know, pretty far-fetched, not even to be mm-hmm. believed. One, I think he was laying near the train tracks reading a book. Hmm. There was an unidentified body years later in Florida that I believe had had a similar surgery to their knees that Dale did. So that kind of made him, you know, curious, but it didn't check out to be Dale. But no, really no sightings at all. Okay. You today, just today, you had sent me something that uh, you wanted to talk about, and I surely want to talk about it. Um, there was a uh, an identified body recovered in the country of Norway not long after Dale disappeared, and it kind of looks like Dale. How did that all come together? that it could be Dale from Bradford, Pennsylvania to Norway. In my research, I came across, you know, a message board and people were convinced that was Dale and they had a link to a newspaper article and there was a man that had been hit and killed by a train. And it was interesting because it was only 10 days after Dale went missing, but it was in Norway. The man does not appear to be from Norway, but he had no identification or anything. They actually showed pictures of him post-mortem to see if they could identify him. 
And there were some similarities to Dale, but his daughter and ex-wife have viewed it, and of course they're positive it's not him. And he is still unidentified 31 years later. Okay, so we have a guy that goes missing in Bradford, Pennsylvania, United States, 1987, and then this uh, unidentified body is seen in is found in Norway. People don't think the guy's from Norway, and that case is still unsolved 31 years later as well. Yeah, and they believe that it was a suicide. Okay. Okay, so some alleged sightings. We have this um, sighting in Norway, or this body in Norway that may look like Dale, but the family rejects that. No ransom demands, even though it kind of looks maybe in the video that Dale might have been held hostage and was taken uh, with the platinum. Of course, the biggest suspicion that we've already talked about is that Dale himself was involved in the heist, but Let's just, I mean, I want to talk about that, but let's just get this out of the way because this has been a very popular idea out there since he disappeared, that he was hurting for money. Is that true? He may have been a little bit behind in some of his bills, but he wasn't to the extent where he was going to be doing something rash. He had stock in Corning. He had several thousand dollars in a savings account. And I think it could have just boiled down to he had just taken a, a huge cut in pay. He was still trying to adjust from that. Because there was just, they said there was a few bills he may have been behind some on. But as far as this newspaper article, his trailer that he lived in wasn't even repossessed until spring or summer of the next year. So that tells me he wasn't, you know, far behind on it when he went missing. Okay. And besides that, he just had a truck payment. He wasn't one to splurge to, you know, he didn't spend a lot of money on things. He lived very frugally. So, yeah, that theory mm -hmm. was just, I think Corning kind of used that to justify their story that Dale was in on it. Okay. I want to come back to that in a moment. Uh, we've mentioned this platinum. We know that Dale himself is missing. Was the platinum itself ever found? No, no trace of it was ever found. And when I talked to Max, that was pretty much his job. I mean, he did everything he could, and he just couldn't couldn't track it down, but there really was no way to trace it either. It didn't have, like, serial numbers on it or anything. Yeah. But I'm also guessing, once again, I'm not a metallurgist, but I'm guessing that platinum would not be something that would be easy to melt. Um, no. You know, if you wanted to get rid of it, somebody would probably have to get rid of it in its form, that, of whatever form it was inside the furnace. And yeah, and there was a mention, too, that there were, like, only maybe 10 factories in the U.S. at the time that could have melted it down. Okay. So it'd be really hard to fence. All right. But as you've also mentioned, though, it's only 26 pounds, not... Yeah. terribly heavy so, uh, an adult could yeah. easily carry that but the fact is platinum is very rare and i'm guessing that your average pawn shop or scrap metal yard doesn't have platinum yeah. your raw platinum being brought in every day or even every year so you probably didn't want to mess with it as complicated as it yeah. would be yeah you did mention to me, though, that uh, did this uh, detective that you've gotten to know, that you've gotten to talk to, he even looked outside the United States for maybe platinum being sold. 
there was this speculation because it's not very far from the Canadian border. So that was just kind of a theory that was out there that, you know, if you wanted to get rid of it and it not be traced, that could be a way to do it. Okay. And once again, you said it was like in 1987 dollars, it was about $250,000. Yes. That's what like, Corning said. Yeah. That's what Corning said. Okay. It's quite a bit of money even today. Mm-hmm. So yeah. and it's certainly, I mean, we have to admit uh, it's going to be a lot of money to anybody, especially maybe a, a security guard working at a plant that, yeah. you know, where it's being downside. Maybe he's worrying about his financial future. We have to keep, you know, we have to um, be open-minded to that. And so uh, let's go in this direction. I know we're not going to use any names, but, you know, we, you and I, Heather, have talked about this enough that, you know, uh, you don't have to be maybe a missing persons expert to know that if this was something that Dale ranged with somebody else, it would have had to have been um, somebody, probably a, a guy in, in contrast to a woman, that mm-hmm. they might have gone in on this together. Uh, was that looked into? Did the police look into the kind of the people around Dale to see if any of them could have been tight enough with Dale to do something like this in tandem. Yes, they did. I'm not sure to what extent, but there was a friend of Dale's that he'd actually moved to a different state a few months prior, but he seemed to be pretty wealthy. Really wasn't an explanation of how he got that wealth. So of course, with a missing persons case, that kind of got their attention. Sure. So they did speak with him. He was never named you know, as a suspect or anything. Um, Penny did get a chance to speak with him recently. He was very happy to speak with her. He, Dale was a dear friend of his, and he wanted, you know, to talk about the case. And he really wasn't, you know, sure. He mentioned that maybe Dale was double-crossed, but he did have a worker named Ollie who has since passed away. And he said that he would hear them in the bar just kind of talking about how easy it would be to steal the platinum. Hmm. Now, I mean, you can take the story for what it's worth, but that's just another kind of a branch off of, you know, one of the possibilities. Yeah. That he had even mentioned that maybe Dale was, remains were in a gas well, because there was several of them around the plant. Mm-hmm. So we can visualize a scenario once again, uh, and we don't know what happened. I mean, you you don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, and we're not here to tarnish yeah. Dale's name in any way. Yeah. But it is not outside. The, I mean, if a friend is going to say that this Ollie guy is going to say that, uh, you know, maybe he heard or or the friend said he heard Dale and this Ollie guy talking about this, then. You know, we have to think about that for a moment. But the fact is, there are a lot of people who probably worked at the plan who knew Dale, that maybe mm-hmm. got downsized, and Dale could have easily been surprised that night by somebody that he knew. Just because it was this heist might have been done by somebody he knew doesn't mean that Dale was involved. Yes, and working there for 29 years, he probably knew every single employee there. Right. 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 Um, and once you know about the case, and we're gonna we got a few other things to talk about here before we're done. 
Um, in your opinion, I mean, you've been living with this case for 28 years now since you solved, saw it on Unsolved Mysteries. Do you think, is it more like circumstantial evidence that was an inside job, or uh, how do you feel about this in 2018? I definitely think it was an inside job. I think the mask intruder was a former or current employee of Corning just because of, you know, the specific area the platinum was in, the poor lighting, them knowing where all the tools were. I mean, I just can't see somebody off the street being able to do that. I agree with you. I agree. Um, being that you got to speak to this detective, and we should note he's in his 80s now, correct, Max? Yes. He's mm -hmm. in his 80s now, and uh, you did say that uh, maybe some of his recollections, I mean, he had a lot of cases, some of the recollections of the, the investigation aren't as clear as they used to be. Um, at any point, if you can say, you don't have to, but if you can say, uh, has he ever expressed the idea that it might have been an inside job or has he ever expressed any opinion on whether Dale was involved or not? Yeah, I think everyone thinks it was an inside job, but it's just, we just don't know to what extent Dale knew. Mm -hmm. Whether Dale just happened to know who it was, maybe recognize their voice, or was Dale in on it to where, you know, he didn't phone the police when he could have? Right. Right. Now, there's something else about this, and, and the people should know, once again, most listeners know that I'm originally from Pennsylvania, but we're from western Pennsylvania over near Pittsburgh. I've been up near the Bradford area up on I-80. It's probably one of the safest places in Pennsylvania on uh, just some farmland, a lot of mountains. And, and, you know, I just don't think it's one of the more, you know, not a crime ridden uh, place area in Pennsylvania, not in 1987 and not now. But I don't know if this is a coincidence or not. Why don't you tell the listeners what happened just down the road in the town of Ridgeway? And I know Ridgeway very well because my family to this day has a hunting camp in Ridgeway. So I've been there many times. Why don't you tell them what happened in Ridgeway just a few months before Dale disappeared? Okay. So on August 20th, 1987, which was three weeks before Dale went missing, there was a 36 year old Mickey Buck and he was shot to death near the security shack where he worked. He worked at motion control Industries. And he was ending his shift. It was around 11 or so. And somebody came up and shot him, and he was found dead in the parking lot. And it's still very much a cold case. But I did find articles back in 2014. They received a tip that led them to some physical evidence. So they're just kind of retesting everything. But I haven't heard of any kind of suspect or motive or anything at this seemingly random shooting so what you're saying this is there was a security guard three weeks before dale disappeared that was kind of working the night shift or the evening shift or and was murdered around the time that it looks like this intruder showed up at corning three weeks later yeah they don't clarify whether he was a security guard but they did say mm. he was leaving his shift and he was shot near mm. the security guard station but yeah, and it would be about the same time of night that the 
mask intruder came into Corning. Yeah, three weeks later. You know, 11 um, or so. And just to reiterate, this murder in Ridgeway is still unsolved 31 years later. Yes. And I'm once again, I haven't been to Ridgeway for years, but I'm going to guess there aren't many murders in that town. It's not a very big town even to start. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I, I couldn't even guess, but I'm going to say there haven't been many murders since 1987 in Ridgeway. And it's, so it's just kind of weird that a guy is shot around the same time, not far away from where Dill disappeared. And I can't help think, but think that there might be a connection uh, there. Did you, were you able to find anything else about that murder? Any interviews with that guy's family as to what could have happened or any articles, you know, maybe that could be something we could look into, see if they ever put the connection between their loved one being murdered in Ridgeway and the disappearance of Dale. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a good point. I did find some quotes. There are a few articles since the case kind of got rejuvenated a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But they're still pretty tight-lipped. It made it sound like someone called in and told them where they could find some more evidence, and they were able to find it. But they didn't mention what it was. Okay. And this this guy was shot, and we have to remember that Dale disappeared, and his gun disappeared, and maybe the mm-hmm. the intruder at the corning plant had a gun as well. That's, that's a possibility. Yeah, he was shot three times. Uh, Mickey was shot three. He was shot at three times. He was hit twice. So we have this, these videos. We have the theft of this platinum that's never been found to this day. That would be hard to get rid of. In fact, I'm, you know, I, I know we talked about, you know, stealing platinum. That you'd have to. What do you think about this, Heather? You'd almost have to have a plan beforehand of how you were going to get rid of it if you wanted to get any money for it. That wouldn't be something that you would get and then figure out afterwards what do you think yes yes definitely but as we discussed i mean if they were just taking it to get back at corning maybe Mm -hmm. they didn't get rid of it at all maybe it was a trophy okay now we had talked about something else i mean we we'd thrown a few around a few names In, in fact you and i talked about patrick foley Possibly being having a reason to want to steal the platinum. Can we talk about that? Well, I know that they were not, you know, in the best financial situation. Mm-hmm. One article even mentioned something about a recession. And I know they were getting ready to sell, so they were apparently having to downsize before that happened. Mm-hmm. And apparently there was union issues going on. I don't really know any details. But one of the articles said that Patrick Foley left union negotiations to actually go check the video camera. Hmm. So it just suddenly occurred to him, like you said, said, they didn't check it right when they discovered that Dale was missing, like when the next security guard showed up and Dale's not there. I mean, I think me personally, you probably personally as well, you show up for work person's not there and you know there's video that's the first place i would go they didn't go to it for days and now you're saying that patrick foley checked it in the middle of a meeting yeah they said he had to leave the negotiations to go check it and as far as max remembers which mm. you know he he tries his best to help but he does say he doesn't remember everything yeah. he seemed to think that patrick foley told him that he'd forgotten 
that they had cameras there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See that? Uh, do you think I? Th- I of course, by my reaction, you th- I think that's a little outrageous. I mean, do you think it's outrageous? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the security guard that relieved him wouldn't that be one of the first things that you would do if you can't find the guy that you're supposed to relieve? You check the security cameras. Yes, I would think so. Unless the fact that Patrick was pulled away to go do that made me wonder if only he was able to access it. Yep. That's, that's a good point too. You know, I I guess in my mind, I, when I think about security guards, at least in 2018, they actually sit, you know, at a bank of videos um, you know, I think back to my Las Vegas days, I had a job where I went into some of the most secure areas of casinos where the security was watching cameras and things. That's exactly what I think of. Now that's really high tech compared to 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, but you may be right. Maybe Patrick Foley was the only person that could get his hands on the videos. Mm-hmm. Didn't think of that. Would it, um, just to maybe wrap this all up. What uh, what are your overall impressions about this disappearance? What what do you think um, happened, and where do you think it, it can go from here? I do think that Dale was double crossed eventually. In the end, um, the family, the ones I've talked to, they all you know kind of agree. Everyone seems to think that. I'm still on the fence whether how much he was in on it. I mean, I do think someone could have came in, he could have recognized their voice, and that he was killed to silence him. But I also think that he could have been a little bit complicit in maybe that he allowed them access, he didn't call the police, maybe he was going to get a cut of it, or maybe it was just, you know, he was happy to help kind of, you know, get back at Corning a little bit for everything they had done. And then eventually he was double-crossed, so they wouldn't have to give him a cut. Yeah, which is common in a lot of crimes like this. And Uh, some motives could be, you know, just to prove maybe that he could do it, you know, or maybe kind of a parting shot to Corning. He was going to be retiring in a few months. Right, right. I I do think, sadly, that he was killed that night. I don't think he lived past that shift. And the only thing that makes sense to me is that he was in that bag. Because I don't think a big burly intruder was gonna would need a hand truck to carry twenty six pounds out of the factory. That's right. That's very good points. And 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 as I told you, um in you know, thinking about the case is that it would certainly go along with the, the idea that Dale was involved in it. Of course, probably didn't know how it was going to end the way we think it did, but that being that there were no signs of violence in the factory, it's it's going to be logical, I think, to think that Dale left the factory alive. And mm-hmm. so if there's no video of him leaving the factory, then we're going back to that bag that you brought up that the Platinum's inside the bag, and then Dale's inside the bag. And Mm -hmm. um, because he's not there, um, you know, he's not seen uh, leaving the plant. All we see is the intruder, once again, with the dolly and the big bag, and 
seemingly the, the platinum inside it. And there's been a couple of people now that have theorized about him being in the gas well, and that would be easy enough if they were nearby to just put the bag down there. Yeah, this is, uh, as you know, I've covered about almost 100 cases now for Unfound, and the facts of this one are very unique. Not too many, not too many security guards go missing during their shifts, uh, to my knowledge. Yeah. And um, I do I do want to mention, too, as far please. as Corning, how they didn't want to give Dale's family anything, you know, that was owed to them as far as the pension and everything like that. Mm-hmm. They had initially tried to have Dale declared dead a few years after he went missing, mainly just because he had a couple of minor children at the time and so that they could get, you know, some money to help with that. Mm-hmm. But they, the courts would not do it because there really wasn't any evidence either way. So, but I just wanted to kind of let everybody know that Corning, you know, kind of fought Dale's family tooth and nail to give up any money. And just a few years ago, Penny actually went and had Dale declared dead. And the judge did agree to have him declared dead the day he went missing. So that way, Corning did have to pay interest on what little retirement they were given, as well as the interest on the life insurance. So you were talking, you know, over 20 years, but they still got a very small portion of what they were owed. Corning ultimately kept most of that. Wow. 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 Okay, so we have this Dale Kerstetter disappearance. Uh, definitely one of the stranger ones that I've that I've heard about. Um, let's talk about maybe just real quickly um, some of the other cases that are on your site, and then you can give out all the information about where people can find you. What are a couple other disappearances uh, that uh, you've written about on your site? Well, there's a couple about just kind of old cases that I didn't really have any kind of, a, you know, families to reach out to. Joan Rich and Mary Little, those are pretty well publicized, but they're very baffling. Mm-hmm. So they can kind of read those. Um, I did an article with John Bunting. He was on an Unsolved Mystery segment as well. His grandparents took him and his sister. They were being abused at home, took him and hit him across the country. So he was actually a missing person for 20 years. So I wanted to kind of explore what it felt like to be a missing person and looking over your shoulder and everything. So that's a really uh, in-depth look at that. Mm-hmm. And there's another missing person's case about with someone named Dale that was on Unsolved Mysteries. He went out for a service call and never came back. Yes. I spoke with his daughter, as well as the last two people to see him that day. And then I just recently posted Clifford Sherwood and George Gumbly. It's the oldest missing persons, missing children's case in Canada on record. And that's pretty baffling with a lot of extra twists and turns. Yes, it is. I can only give you a sense of these cases in a few minutes, so I can kind of go into them deeper and, and get more details out there. Right. 
how old is that Canadian case? I, re- I of course I've read some of these uh these cases on your blog um already, but uh what year is that Canadian case? How old is it? I believe it's over 60 years old. Wow. Because I know Clifford would be in his 80s, but it was it's a unique case because two sure. boys went missing yet George is pretty much forgotten. He's not ever mentioned anymore. He went missing with Clifford the same day as Clifford. Yeah. And there seems to have been sightings of Clifford over the years, but never any of George. Hmm. I hope the the listeners will uh, check those out. You have a great blog going there. I like it because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not just copying and doing all, you know, you know, doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for these families and you're reaching out to them. And so I have to ask you, you know, what's it been like? Uh, especially like in Dale's case, you hear about this case for all these years and you hear about these people like his ex-wife and daughter and other family members. And then you're, you're, you're talking to them. What, what's that experience yeah. been like for you? It's strange because I feel like I do know Penny now, but I felt like I knew her, you know, you watch her on the screen for years and you just, Oh, okay. You kind of feel like that you've known her all this time. Um, it, it is a lot better. I like, I don't want Dale to just be known by his disappearance, like I mm-hmm. mentioned in the blog, you know, and that's, in some of these cases, they just get covered up with that. Yeah. You know, and I, I want to write more about the person, you know, what the kind of person they were and, and give a description of that. So the readers, you know, take that with them as well. Yes. Yes. Why don't you tell the listeners once again, give out the uh, address of your blog, the name of it, and uh, anywhere else you can be found on social media, anywhere else. Okay, it's Lost and Found Blogs. It's L-O-S-T-N-F-O-U-N-D-B-L-O-G-S. And I also have a subscription if you want me to send email alerts when the articles come out. I have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also, all under the same spelling, Lost and Found Blogs. Okay. Okay. And you are a member, you are in the Unfound Podcast discussion group, true? Yes, true. All right, all right great. So the listeners can find you there if they'd like to talk to you about, of course, most importantly, Dale's case that we've covered in this episode. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if you want to talk to listeners about some of the other things you've written about in the unfound podcast discussion group that's fine with me as well you know everybody's working on new cases all the time yes are we right now aren't we all aren't we all that's true that's Mm -hmm. totally true um any last words before we complete this uh interview heather well i appreciate you having me on here like i said you're one of the few podcasts that i listen to because I'll give you some compliments now because I like how seriously you take these cases as well. That's very kind. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, it's, it's a great feeling to get attention to these cases that have lied dormant for so long. It is, you know, like I said, not we know you and I both know the the disappearances that have gotten the most attention. Let's say since the early two thousands between Mara Murray, Jennifer Kessie. Some others uh, that I think everybody knows about. And then we have the near disappearances like a Sherry Papini or uh, somebody like that. Um, It would be nice if all disappearances got that treatment that, you know, end up on the cover of People magazine, like some missing people 
end up um, being on there. So it would be nice. And uh, I think we're both trying to make that happen. Yeah, in some of these cases, I mean, you don't, there's not going to be a happy resolution, but all these years later, maybe there's somebody that knows something or somebody that's willing to talk that wasn't initially. Yes. Well, I appreciate you being on the program. Just to remind everybody, it's lostandfoundblogs.com, and this is Heather Grotman. Heather, thank you for being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Heather Grotman, blogger at lostandfoundblogs.com. I thank her for joining me and all of you on this episode. Before I get into my major point about this case, I was telling Heather that this entire story reminds me of a variety of unsolved incidents. D.B. Cooper, the Sons of the Gestapo train derailment in Arizona, the Gardner Museum art heist, and the Metcalf power grid attack near San Jose, California. If you haven't heard of some of those, you should look them up. The interesting part is that there is the belief all of them were to some extent inside jobs, that they were pulled off by people who had more than casual knowledge of the places shot up, robbed, or sabotaged. This is what leads me personally, as Heather and I already discussed, to believe the heist was an inside job, on top of the fact that it makes the most sense. So the question then becomes... If it was an inside job that one of Dale's co-workers or former co-workers is the masked man, then Dale had to have known who was behind the mask. There's no doubt about that. Then we have to take the next logical step to say, if it makes sense that Dale knew the guy, then was Dale involved and what does that mean regarding the disappearance? Also, I think Heather is onto something when she says that the heist might have only been done to embarrass Corning and that it wasn't necessarily for profit. I think she says that for a few reasons, and these are the ones that come to my mind. First, if it's for profit, why not take all the platinum instead of just 26 pounds? If it's for profit, that means the robber already has a person to sell it to. Wouldn't that person like 50 pounds over 26 pounds? Because platinum is rare. It's not like selling 26 pounds on the black market isn't going to get attention whereas 50 pounds will. The masked man, if it were for profit, should have wanted to get as much as he could while he was there. But that's not what he did. Second, there was no limit on the masked man's time frame as long as he got out of there before the next guard showed up. He obviously had Dale under control, and we'll come back to that in a second. But the masked man didn't use the whole night. He was only in there for what, at most a couple hours and only taking $250,000 worth of the part of one furnace. Once again, this seems to be shorting himself despite the high dollar amount. It would be like a bank robber having all night to take a million dollars in cash from a vault, but he only takes $500,000. Third, and last, how would somebody really go about figuring out how they're going to sell platinum, whether legally or illegally, and not raise some eyebrows? because this would have had to have been done beforehand if the masked man was really serious about selling it. To compare it to the Gardner Museum heist, it's not like the masked man could take the platinum home and hang it on the wall to admire it. Platinum only has value when turned into dollars. There is no aesthetic value to it. So, like Heather, 
I don't necessarily believe the motive was profit. This was something more personal. Now for Dale. This is what bothers me about what happened that night. Where was Dale when the masked man was cutting out the platinum? It's not possible for the masked man to have had a gun pointed at Dale and cut the platinum out at the same time, right? Even if he tied Dale up, the masked man had to climb into the furnace to cut the platinum out, thus giving Dale an opportunity to get away, maybe roll away if he's tied up. And if the burglar murdered Dale, then cut out the platinum, then where were the signs of that in the plant? There weren't any. And I don't see Dale willingly getting into that large bag because he would have known what was coming next. Did the masked man walk Dale out to the burglar's car, then do something to Dale, then walk back in? The video seemingly doesn't show that. Could he have tied Dale up at the car and left him in the car? Well, wouldn't the bad guy have to put his gun down to do that? Even if we're just handcuffs, that doesn't necessarily incapacitate a person. And I have a hard time believing the intruder would leave a living person, or a dead person, in his vehicle while spending all that time inside the plant. I think you may be feeling where I'm going with this. In my opinion, the only scenario that makes sense is Dale stood there and watched, willingly, as the platinum was cut out. And I don't say that to disparage Dale. I don't care if he was involved or not. I want him found either way. But establishing if Dale was involved or not in the heist that night would certainly make everything a little more, uh, clear. Sitting on the fence only keeps everything very cloudy. And that could be why this case is still unsolved after over 30 years. But maybe you think something different. And that's why I will leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.